encourage you to uh, make sure you stretch. And uh, we do have a walking wounded, Tommy uh, Watson. Uh, I think he's, in, oh, Tommy's there. There you go. Um, and uh, he blew out his Achilles tendon. So pray for him. He goes to see the orthopedic tomorrow. Uh, but it was glorious. He was playing above the rim. His wife would have been so encouraged. And, uh, uh, but it was a great time. And so, uh, you know, we had 100 brothers uh, this year. Uh, next year, we're going to make sure we don't do it on a uh, teen weekend event. Uh, so we're always already set up for 200 uh, to come next year. So it'll be a great, great time. So uh, looking forward to it. We're hoping uh, this December so far, it's a, a great Thanksgiving, a great opportunity uh, to, you know, glorify God through these special time of the year. Uh, we do have some guests with us today. A number of uh, those in the Southwest uh, are, uh, came in uh, to be a part of the Northwest Worship Service. Certainly excited about them placing membership up here in the Northwest. Um, so, now I had to say that because I want you to go back to Mark and say, hey, Todd said we're all moving over to the Northwest. What's up? So I know Mark will come up with something snarky. Amen. So, but uh, last week we had an opportunity, actually both regions met together, and uh, I talked about being shaped by the gospel. And I want to revisit that. In fact, today is kind of what I would classify as a theme lesson. You know, you have this thought, you have this theme, and, and, and if you grasp it, it can change everything about your walk with God. You think about the good news, you think about the gospel, and you think about the gospel, what does that say? It says two things at one time. One, it says, I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared to believe. But at the same time, I'm more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. So last week we addressed this and we addressed, you know, the importance of how this gospel, how this good news, how those two conflicting things coming together can motivate us in confession and forgiveness. And I hope for those of us who did listen to that lesson that we took the opportunity and the advantage to really evaluate our lives. And it's like, okay, is there things that I need to confess and be open? And are there people in my life I need to forgive? Back to Titus chapter 2. We see Paul. And Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the, Lord, of the glory of our Lord, our great God and G Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God, the love of God. The good news, the gospel, teaches, trains us. And as I said last week, and how we need to allow this good news, this gospel, to sink into our hearts deeply until it changes our view and our motivations. And what do I want to do now? That was a recap from last week. What I want to do now is that, well, how can that happen? Give me an example of how this grace, this gospel, this good news can, if I really fight with it, 
change and motivate me. Well, let's look at a story. And it really goes back to how do you read the Bible? You know, a lot of us know the story of David and Goliath. And so what I want to do is I'm going to pose two questions. But first, before I do that, I want us to read parts of the story of David and Goliath. Because I think this is an illustration to help us understand how we can let the gospel mold us and train us. 1 Samuel chapter 17, in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And Saul and the men of Israel gathered and encamped at the valley, in the valley of Elah. And drew up in their battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. And Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And they came out from the camp whose height was six cubits a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his leg and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. He said the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and this spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bear went before him and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So let's stop there. So this is kind of like, you know, this is like great movie material. You know, this is better than Braveheart or, or you know, um, what's that movie that's out right now? Um, Ridge, Hacksaw Ridge or something like that. This is like blow away. You have this huge battle. You have this small mountain. On one side, you have the Philistines, God's enemies. On this side, you have the Israelites, God's people. And they're looking at each other, and they're ready to go to battle for 40 days. And during those 40 days, you see this giant. You know, and it, and it kind of gives us, the writer here, kind of gives us an idea of just how impressive this giant really is. It's a big battle scene. Each opposing each other. And the enemy has a crushing champion that strikes fear into everyone. And then this kid shows up. This young man. Teenager. And he's a son. And we find out when we read later, but we're not going to read it now, but if you read the story, you find out that he's the youngest son. He was tending the sheep. And he would go back and forth during those 40 days to watch what was happening. And we pick up the story in verse 24. And it says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him. And they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? 
Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. So you have this champion, this imposing figure, defying God's people, defying God, mocking. And as you read the story, you find out when David shows up and he starts talking to one of his own brothers, his own brother starts mocking him. Not only mocking his own brother, but despising David. Just like we find out Goliath does a little bit later. Verse 31 then, the story continues. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go fight against the Philistine to fight him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. And the story continues. And the verse will continue. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day the birds. Ah, we're really off. Amen. Well, let's pick it up here, what I have written. So verse uh, 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when they came, then came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me and I caught him by its beard and struck him and killed him, your servant has struck down both the lions and the bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord will deliver me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. That, uh, will, and the, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will also deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. So here's this young guy. His heart is stirred. He sees what's happening. And he wants to do something about it. And so he engages. And they hear about it, and he talks to the king, and he gets all set up, and now he goes into battle. And he has a little bit of history on his side. Hey, I've had this battle, I've had that battle, let me go fight some more. So we find out now what happens in the battle, verse 41. And the Philistine moved toward and came to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds in the air and the beasts in the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with the spear and with the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the head of the bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. All that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put a hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, killed him, cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, and so that the wounded Philistines fell all the way to Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. So you have this story, a story of fear, overwhelming odds, boldness. You find out that this is literally one of the great stories of the Old Testament. And at the bottom line, David understood whose battle it really was. It's the Lord's battle. And the Lord's going to save. And it's not going to happen with swords or javelins or spears. But in the name of the Lord, I'm going to go and battle you. So if we're talking about letting the gospel shape us, how does a story like David and Goliath do that? So I have two questions. I ask two questions on how we read the Bible. Do we read the Bible as it, it's all about me? Or do we read the Bible that it's all about Jesus? So if we say, in other words... The Bible is basically about what I must do, or it's about what he has done. If we read the story of David and Goliath as a story that gives me an example to follow, then the story is really about me. It's all about me. What do I have to do to be a disciple of Jesus? What do I have to do to do it God's way? Because, see, the Bible is an instructional, informational book that tells me what I have to do. So David and Goliath were all opposed by an overwhelming foe. Satan. Sin. It's overwhelming. It's hard, it's difficult, discouraging. And now I come onto the scene. And if I kill this giant, then I will be richly rewarded. Now my family's against me. The odds are against me. But my heart's challenged. I need to have faith. I need to have faith that literally in times of past that have fought the lions and the bears. And I was victorious. The little giants. And now I need to have a greater faith. 
to fight this overwhelming foe. Bigger faith. And we find that if we read the Bible that it's all about me, then this story is actually an exhortation. It's exhorting us that I must summon up the faith and the courage to fight the giants in my life, and then I will be richly rewarded. So let me ask you this question. How does that make you feel? Seriously, how does it make you feel? Do you have this mindset? you have this thing? Man, I'm inspired. I can do it. Let me at it. I'm going to go fight the giant. Now, I think there are some people in this room that, man, amen. Honestly, it makes me feel a little beat down, a little overwhelmed, a little uninspired. Man, if we read the Bible, as I said, as an inspiration or instructional book on what we must do or become, then we don't tap into the vision that will transform us and teach us to be like Jesus. Because honestly, at the end of the day, if I don't start having victories in my life, I'm not going to be able to deal with the bigger problems in my life, and I'm not going to be richly rewarded. That's what the story of David and Goliath teaches me. So going back to the Titus scripture, I will not lead a life that renounces ungodliness or worldly passions. I will not live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. I will not live a life wishing for my blessed hope. And I will not be zealous for good works. Because it's all about me. What do I have to do? What do I have to be? Question number one. How do you read the Bible? Is it all about you? Or two, it's all about what he's done. What Jesus has done. If we read the Bible as ultimately about the Lord and his salvation, it's all about what Jesus has done. So, so just, let's, let's just transport ourselves into a different, completely different thought. And let's look at the story of David and Goliath in this light. Let's look at it in such a way that the Israelites could not face the giant themselves. They were fearful and afraid. They needed a champion. They needed a champion that would fight in their place. A substitute who would face the deadly peril in their place. A substitute that God provided. And it's not a strong person, but literally it's a weak person. A young boy. Too small to wear even a suit of armor. And God used this deliverer's weakness as a very means to bring about the destruction of this laughing, haughty, overconfident Goliath. 
And you see David's triumph through his weakness. And then you see his victory attributed to all the Israelites. And see, if we read the Bible in such a way that it's what he's done, Jesus done throughout the whole Bible, then we see that Jesus has done the same thing as David for us. It's through his suffering, his weakness, his death that sin is defeated. You know, and I don't know about you, but this doesn't seem right. Shouldn't there be a superhero in here somewhere? Something like that? Shouldn't we have to go and fight this battle? And then when we read Jesus into everything, then what that does is that it then starts illuminating our understanding of Paul. And Paul and his writing. Because, you see, Paul got it. Now you look back at, let's say, look, at, look at 1 Corinthians here, chapter 1. Paul's writing to this messed up church. It's the messed up church of Christ. Kind of like the Dallas messed up church of Christ, okay? And so he's writing to this messed up church, and, and he's writing, and he says, in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligent of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded miraculous signs. Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So what was the issue? What, what, was, what was, we look at David, and we look at David and Jesus, and we're like, that's foolishness. Yeah, it is. And that's what David, and when we read the Bible, we read the New Testament, we read, understand it's all about Jesus. It's like, I see God's bigger picture now. Let's keep on going. If we read Jesus into everything in the Old Testament, look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Shows us what it means to be declared that we have died with Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may Walk in newness of life. Here's the situation. Is that when we understand, like look at back at David and Goliath, and we look at what Jesus did to the champion, like David did to Goliath. Ah, I understand now what Paul was talking about, dying with Christ and raised to a new life. Or how about Ephesians chapter 2? Being raised up and seated with him in victory. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul continues. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. So if we read the Bible like it's all about me, then it's duty, duty, duty. If we read the Bible that it's all about what he's done, then we start understanding that Jesus is our ultimate champion, our true champion, who did not merely risk his life for us, but who gave us, gave it for us. You know, if you go back to the, to the army scene there and David and Goliath and we all of a sudden realize that, you know what we are? We're like one of those soldiers of the Israelite army on one side being too fearful. And all of a sudden, we just watched our little champion, which we didn't know was a little champion, this weak, what go out and defeat the champion. And all we have to do now is run down the mountainside and start chasing all the fleeing Philistines. That's our job. The victory's been won. Our champion is won. We get to run down the mountain. His victory is our victory. And he has accomplished it, and he attributed this victory to us. So if we read the Bible like it's all about Jesus, then we tap into that vision that will transform us. And teach us then to be like Jesus because we understand what Jesus has done for us. We'll lead a life that renounces, denounces sin, worldly passions. We'll live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. We'll wait for that blessed hope. We'll be zealous. To do good works. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go out and earn it. I don't have to go defeat this little giant and then a bigger giant and then the biggest giant and then I'll be rewarded. I'm already rewarded. And because I'm rewarded, I can run down this mountain. I can chase all the Philistines to Ekron. I, I can say no to pornography. I, I can say no to laziness. I can say no to greed. I can say yes to denying myself in this lifetime. For something greater. I can share my faith. Because I don't care what they think about me. It makes no difference. I remember one time when I was in the chiropractor school. And I know 
I haven't shared any chiropractor stories in a while, so this one's just been holding up in me. And, and there's this guy that was in the school, and man, he was like one of the sharpest guys in the school. And he was a friend of mine, and, and I really wanted to invite him to church. And, and I go up to him, and, and he was Jewish. He didn't even believe in Jesus, but I was like, Paul. It's like, you know, become Bible talk. And then I walked away. And I thought about it for a second. He goes, I don't think I said more than three understandable words. Because I was so nervous. But you know, I really liked him. I really liked Paul. And I really wanted him to understand Jesus. And so I was a fool. But I did it. I did it. Because it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It was about Jesus. And so we look at our lives now. Early December 2016, going into a new year and whether or not we feel victorious, whether or not we feel like we're defeating the small giants in our life right now, it doesn't matter. Victory's been won. Can I? Yeah, you can. Should I? Yeah, maybe you should. But that's not going to make you loved anymore. That's not going to make you accepted anymore. Because you're already loved, you're already accepted, you're already raised up. So what's your responsibility? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to sin because I understand it's all about Jesus and not about me. So I hope last week we talked about confession and and forgiveness. I hope this week we'll ask ourselves, well, what are some of the things we need to say no to? And what are some of the things we need to say yes to because of Jesus? because of our walk with him, because of what he's done for me. So we take communion. Let's consider what our brother did to the overwhelming giant that faces each one of our lives today. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father God, we come to you now this time, humbled and grateful for this opportunity to be able to come and to worship you. God, we pray that you'll help us to understand your son, understand your love for us and his love for us, the God that will be motivated to say no. We'll be motivated to allow your gospel, your good news to change us, to shape us, to be like your son. Thank you for his example. But God, more importantly, thank you for what he has done to the things that are set up against you. Father, help us to understand, help us to love you, It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.